Hey there, welcome to another podcast of Get Thee to the Seminary. I'm Eddie No, and I am your host today of season one for episode two. And today we have a good guest. His name is Dan Navaris. And Dan is just finishing up his first year of theology at the Jesuit School of Theology. Before that, he taught high school at Gonzaga Prep in Spokane. And I'm so happy that he's here to discuss an awesome topic of friendship in the Philippians with St. Paul. So please sit back, bring your Bible, and remember, theology is not just for priests, but for everybody. Dan, welcome to the show, man. Thank you very much, Eddie. It's good to be here. Dan is a good friend of mine. We've been in the Society of Jesus for the last seven years together. Dan entered a year before me. Feels like big brother. We're definitely kindred spirits, <laughs> both from Texas, both joined the former uh, California province, both here studying theology at Berkeley. So I do consider you a, a dear friend and good brother. One heart, one mind. Amen, <laughs> brother. <laughs> and so we have been living for a last year together yep. in community. And talk about a weird time to be living in community together, right? Oh We're sheltering gosh. in place and quarantine measures and just so much social unrest. So you know... If we're still talking to each other at this point, <laughs> we have to be good friends. Yes, or we're <laughs> drinking a lot. <laughs> don't don't self-medicate, people. Do not do that. Hey, Eddie's a doctor, too. He yeah. knows what he's talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> hey, uh, I wasn't going to spill that beans until, oh, like, <laughs> season, episode four. season six, episode four. <laughs> They're like, who's this guy, Eddie, and why do we want to talk to him? <laughs> No, but welcome to this podcast. One of the things that really struck me as we've been reading the letters of St. Paul this past summer, mm -hmm. and there's been just some really amazing things that have come out of that. In particular, one of the really amazing things has been this concept of friendship. Yeah, and it's fascinating to think about, Eddie, that St. Paul wrote these letters, or at least you know certain letters are uh, ascribed to him, in the first century of the common era. So like nearly 2,000 years ago, right. we're trying to find relevance to these types of messages as it applies to our own lives. Yeah, and so part of that trying to figure out how it applies to our life is to understand the context in which he's living in. Sure. Like, where is he living? Mm -hmm. What languages are he speaking? What cultures are influencing him? Mm -hmm. Because all that can affect how a person is, right? He didn't just come out of nothing. Absolutely. You know, during the f first century of the Common Era, Paul was really influenced, grew up in the context of the Roman Empire. Uh, the R empire was influenced beforehand by kind of a, a joint Greco-Roman culture where the predominant language was going to be Greek. And actually, that's Paul wrote mm -hmm. his letters in Greek. Uh, he definitely knew Aramaic, Hebrew, he was born in Tarsus around the first decade of the Common Era, but he studied in Jerusalem. Paul was a very faithful Jew, but he did indeed persecute members of the early Christ movement. Yeah, well, interesting is Jesus was a Jew. Amen, brother. <laughs> it's like, what? What? Jesus Let's not Jew? forget, people. Uh, Jesus was a Jew. So, yeah, both of them very faithful Jews. And so the party that Paul comes out of, meaning like the type of Jew he was, was this Pharisee. If we remember in the, the Gospels, Jesus is having conflict with the Pharisees. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're a group that believes very much in the law. Mm -hmm. They become part of the parties that end up persecuting Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Paul is persecuting the disciples that Jesus left behind. Correct. Until a day happens when he's just kind of struck. Mm -hmm. bright light from the sky. It's kind of trippy. Yeah. <laughs> and this voice says to Paul, 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 why do you persecute me? And he kind of asks, who are you? 
insight. It's Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And so he gets an experience of God in such a dramatic way that it changes his life. Absolutely. He really becomes one of the preeminent disciples, and he even calls himself an apostle. He kind of does a 180. He never rejects his Jewish identity, but he becomes a firm believer in the message of Christ. And at this time, we weren't thinking about establishing a new church. He's meeting people where they are. Yeah. And the term that we use for church is, it's another contextual piece. How we imagine church today may not be what Paul was reflecting on. For example, we being part of the Catholic Church, we think of the church with the capital C. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we think, okay, the church in large, what he's doing is he's establishing little churches with a small C and in different places. And what those churches look like are different wherever he goes. Right. In some places, they're actually households like houses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some places, there'll be a formal meeting area. Mm-hmm. Some places are a loose association. So the idea of church that we have now is so different. You know, when we think of church also, it's like, okay, I'm going to go to church down the street at St. Mary Magdalene's. Mm-hmm. And it's part of a bigger Roman Catholic church. Right. Paul's not really thinking formally like he's setting up a church big time. He really is trying to address certain issues that those local communities are going through. And I think that's the beauty of Paul is he's really trying to address modern day concern of the church communities. Sure. Man, to go over all his letters, that could take a lifetime. I mean, there's people that really specialize. This is what they do. They study mm-hmm. Paul's letters. But we want to focus on one in particular, and that's the letter to the Filipinos. Uh, uh, close, close, Eddie. Oh, man. <laughs> Almost. Love the Filipinos. Don't get me wrong. <sighs> However, this particular letter is to the Philippians. <laughs> Paul writes to these Philippians, establishes this community. It's the first one he establishes in 49 CE. I don't know about you. I will always remember my first batch of students. Mm-hmm. You taught fifth grade. Yeah, was my first year was fifth grade. And yeah. actually, Eddie, this year in 2020, they would be graduating seniors from college. So amazing. It's pretty wild to think about, man. Yeah, it's always that first group that you really form really good relationships with because of the novelty, because of the initial excitement from your part, you know, as a first year teacher, you inevitably would make those type of really powerful connections. And no doubt we definitely see this with Paul as well. Yeah. So this letter to the Philippians, he is writing from a prison. Mm -hmm. And the crazy thing is, is that he's really coming from a place of love, even though he could be kind of suffering during this time. Absolutely. It really seems, at least within this letter, that he is completely focused on the good of the Philippian community. There really is a sense of hope. Yeah. Super interesting in this letter is he talks about his friendship with them. Mm -hmm. And we talked about how he's kind of raised in a Greek culture. And usually the term that we would see in Greek of friendship is the word philia. Mm -hmm. But he never uses that. That's the same word or that is in Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love or friendly love because it's more friendship. He doesn't really use that word. But man, does he talk about what friendship means. Absolutely. There's a couple of other terms, you know, with Greek that convey a type of love, eros, which is a type of romantic love, and then also agape, which is a sense of selfless love. But Paul definitely unpacks the concept of this filial love. And this is the way that he conveys the type of relationship he has with this early community of believers in Philippi. So he doesn't use the word philia, but he uses brotherhood. Adelphon. 
sisterhood, right? It definitely conveys intimacy. It definitely conveys a sense of closeness or proximity. If you really consider, you know, you call a dear friend, you know, brother or sister, or even think about any family friends who you call uncle or aunt, Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean there's a blood connection as much as it is like a deep sense of care and concern. And so we see this repeatedly within the letter of the Philippians. Why don't you just kind of expose some of those verses, kind of like chapter, the verse. Awesome. So usually Paul is going to include it at the beginning of his letters, either a greeting or a sense of thanksgiving. There's a formal process of writing his particular letters. The first verse where he mentions the Adelphon is chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has turned out rather to advance the gospel. In chapter 2, verse 25, with regards to Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister in my need, I consider it necessary to send him to you. The next place is chapter 4, which the letter to the Philippians is actually a very short letter. There's only four small chapters, which makes it even more of interest, the frequency of this particular word as he's talking about his community of friends Mm -hmm. in Philippi. So chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, beloved. So this kind of sense of closeness there that, again, I think of his circumstance of being in the prison and he's gone through imprisonment after imprisonment for the sake of the gospel, Mm -hmm. right? For the Mm -hmm. sake of spreading this good news. Um, Because back then, Christians were kind of viewed with circumspect. He's writing in the prison and he's thinking about them so much affection for them. Mm. And I'm thinking about chapter 1, verse 3. Mm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when he remembers, and this is what he says, I give thanks to my God at every remembrance of you, praying always with joy in my every prayer for all of you because of your partnership for the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day. So he's recalling those years that he's walked with them, that he's been with them, that he's been laboring with them. This partnership, koinonia, is such a powerful word. This is something that's repeated not just only in this letter, but in other letters of this partnership in Christ for the gospel, something shared. Absolutely. And if you continue with those same verses in verse 7, it is right that I should think this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart, you who are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Mm. And so again, this intimacy is reinforced in the midst of his incarceration. Mm. And there seems like that last line that you were saying, the defense and confirmation of the gospel, that can seem pretty heady, but there's something packed in there where there's something bigger than just themselves. It's not just about you and me. There's something about this bigger picture of mm-hmm. what life is about. Yeah, it's this thrust that uh, is propelling Paul that is bigger than you, me, Paul, the Philippians. In a sense, it's like a greater good. Eddie, you were talking a little earlier about our first year teaching, right? How difficult <laughs> those experiences oh were. Oh, my gosh. There are times where I wanted to just cry. Oh, my well, gosh. I, did, I think I did cry. Oh, uh, I, I cried too. <laughs> there, but there was moments where I wanted to give up. Yeah, but why did we do it? 
there had to have been something, some bigger reason, some bigger cause for us to persevere. Because how easy would it have been, man, yeah. to just quit? No, totally. I think that's a great mystery I ask to this day. Like, what is it that drew me? But what was it for you? You know, I saw it as a ministry of witness and presence. Being Catholic has always been kind of an essential part of my identity. And having taught in public school, you couldn't really manifest that in the way that I really desired. However, through my actions and through my words and through the way I showed care and concern for the kids in the face of adversity (laughs) and the hard times, and I was able to see that God was working through me Mm -hmm. to manifest his love to these kids. And I knew that I could sense that the kids understood that. And the kids saw that even though they probably couldn't put those words together, you know, because as much as I really enjoyed being in the classroom, I was missing that faith component to be very explicit with expressing the gospel. And I think that's something that Paul feels very comfortable with doing with the Philippians. Yeah, expressing that good news, right? Exactly. Yeah. We have such a gift, these letters, right? It's like we get a preview into someone's life. It's almost like when we pick up a journal from someone that's really famous of old, and you just get a kind of inner thought of what this person is going through. Mm -hmm. And one of the inner thoughts that he has is, and it relates to the idea of what you asked of me of why I did what I did. I don't know if I was that explicit about my faith Mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. But what I can say is that loving someone in in this regard, loving these students, was about giving of myself. Mm. There was a stretching that I could feel in the capacity that I could love somebody when it was in that of doing what was best for the other person, Mm -hmm. no matter how I felt, no matter how tired I was, that there was a certain standard that I wanted. And it may be now that I can articulate, maybe it was the standard of the cross. Maybe I didn't understand it then, Mm -hmm. but reflecting on it now, that's the stretching I felt was the the capacity to love. Mm -hmm. As I read Philippians, you know, in the center of Philippians, there is this poem that Paul exposes that some have said is the main part of his letter. But the preface before that is huge because it's important that we talk about the oneness that he feels with the Philippians and also how they complete his joy. It's all this selflessness that he has. The crux of it is that the humility that he asked to be like Jesus. Mm -hmm. If we could read that, that'd be phenomenal. So starting with 2-1. Yeah. Cool. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any solace in love, any participation in the spirit, any compassion and mercy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. Do nothing out of selfishness or out of vainglory. Rather, humbly regard others as more important than yourself. Each looking out, not for his own interests, but also everyone for those of others. There's so much here. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, same love, united heart, thinking one thing. Well, the version we're using of the Bible is the New American Bible. The fascinating thing that I realized was that so many versions of the Bible have different word choice. And so looking back at the original Greek, he uses the word in verse 2 of chapter 2, 
pleurisate, which actually means fulfill. So when in our version it says complete my joy, the Greek would say fulfill my joy. So in a way, there's a sense that it conveys the idea of being complete, but to make my joy even more full. I just think that's a beautiful, beautiful image that Paul is giving or is asking mm-hmm. his fellow believers in Philippi to do. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine like having that type of conversation with people that you care deeply about? It's like fulfill my joy, continue to fill it up. And of course, how do you do that? It's through how you mentioned following in the footsteps of deep humility and using Christ as a model. Yeah. The theme of joy runs throughout this book. Oh, overflowing. The next line, do nothing out of selfishness or vainglory and humbly regard yourselves or others as more important than yourself. Man, that's such a huge thing. You know, I I don't know about you, but like sometimes my ego occupies sometimes the space of a room. For sure. I mean, all all of us. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's an isolated incident. (laughs) (laughs) I like my hair to be a certain way. I like to be known for certain things Mm -hmm. and I like to have things done in a particular way. To allow somebody in that space of where my ego normally occupies, I have to somehow let go of me to let someone into that space. One of the things that Paul talks about, these characteristics of friendship, same mind, a oneness, completing joy, kononia, this selflessness, this allowing of another person to come to space, one of the things that he says is hospitality. Mm. How do you welcome someone into that space? And I'm struck by the breadth of friends that you have. When I look at all the friends that you zoom in with, like Zoom rooms, zoom, 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 zoom. In, boom, boom. <laughs> and so in this time of this pandemic where we're limiting ourselves to travel, you're really finding ways to connect with people and you're really being hospitable. You're creating those spaces in these Zoom rooms or whatever means chats that you're having and people are kind of responding well to this. Something's happening. Yeah, you know, I think the idea of hospitality really resonates because I'm able to see that there's a desire, not just on my part, for connection, but also on other people's part, Mm -hmm. you know, and that understanding, making those spaces, kind of pushing against my own ego is actually going to be more joyful, you know, and more life-giving than if I was to uh, resist that. And again, yeah, how do we offer hospitality in a way that we can't offer physical accommodations, right? Mm -hmm. But how do we offer a sense of like spiritual accommodation, you know, or accompaniment, right? And I think during these days, especially with the pandemic, there's an invitation for us to be intentional, reaching out to people, especially those who suffer. I call the experience that we have a duo of epidemic, both the coronavirus and loneliness. Mm -hmm. St. Teresa of Calcutta said that that was actually the greatest sickness in our world was loneliness. Mm -hmm. And so how do we create these spaces that are pushing against our own ego and allowing us to be present, humbly putting others ahead of ourselves in order to show the love of God and the love of Christ? Yeah. You know, I was having a recent conversation with somebody and she asked me, like, how are you doing? It's like, I hate to feel guilty about saying this, but I'm doing pretty well. I think that struck her. And she asked, how is it that this is possible that you're doing this well? Mm -hmm. It's like, 
I'm walking out the street when the pandemic first started and we had shelter in place. So I, one of the first times we, we were able to walk outside and, you know, people were having their masks on, their social distancing. But before in Berkeley, you walked down the street, you would not make eye contact with anybody. Oh, for sure. But now people are looking at each other and they're like kind of waving a hand. Yeah. Right. People are actually, when their cars are stopping at the stop signs instead of running through trying to kill you. It's pretty unreal. <laughs> it's pretty, that's a miracle in and of itself. And the thing is, when they stop at a sign, they're actually waving people through. And that didn't happen before. People no. were looking for their own way, like creating their own ego. And I think there's just less of that that's going on right now. It is fascinating to think about that in the context of, you know, a, a health crisis, you know, and the societal unrest that there are people now thinking outside of themselves. And so we see this as an aspect of what I would consider like a silver lining, a redemptive reality of, of these mm-hmm. instances. Yeah. So continuing with this little verse here, it's transitioning to why is it that they should have this attitude of selflessness? And this is where Paul continues off in verse 5 of chapter 2. He says, have among yourselves the same attitude that is also yours in Christ Jesus. And this is where it starts the poem that I referred to before. Mm -hmm. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness, and found human appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Mm -hmm. Wow, this reminds me of the Gospel of John. When we're talking about friendship and we're talking about death, the Gospel of John has Jesus being with his disciples, and he talks about friendship in a way that's kind of radical. Mm-hmm. Um, after chatting about them, about remaining in me, abide in me, I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends. Yeah, John fifteen thirteen. if I'm not mistaken, greater love hath no one than this, than for that person to lay down his or her life for their friends. <sighs> yeah, and God does it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely that sacrificial love right as the epitome of what it means to love one's friend yeah well people can think oh sacrifice of just death but it's every day that there's a sacrifice right paul is trying to communicate imitate me because i imitate christ as evidence in chapter 3 verse 17 and likewise paul is encouraged by them in return as evidenced at the beginning of this letter it's this reciprocity, yeah. right? You Mutuality, know? right? Mutuality. I'm thinking about, you know, an instance where, you know, you see a baby smiling, for example, <laughs> you know, where you just, you can't help but smile. You can't help but smile. And then they smile bigger and then you smile bigger. So this reciprocal exchange of joy in its most innocent version, I think, is a very powerful example of what it, it can mean for us to exhibit joy and for it to expand as we go back and forth, you know, and share in, in mutuality and love. But it is interesting, Eddie. We have an example in Paul, in Jesus. Paul is saying he sees his fellow believers manifesting this love. He also tells them a little bit later, do everything then without grumbling. Mm-hmm. It's so fascinating to think about that, right? Mm-hmm. How... You know, one, okay, you know you're doing the right thing. You know you're doing these little things that sacrifice. You know, maybe it's not dying necessarily, but you're doing things selflessly. Mm. But do it without grumbling. He says that in chapter 2, verse 14, 
But then later on, which I really love, in chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It's not rejoice when you're feeling joyful. It's not rejoice sometimes. And then when you're feeling bad, then you can kind of grumble, right? But Paul's saying rejoice always. And because he's such a masterful writer, he says it again. I shall say it again, rejoice. And so he emphasizes something that is an important takeaway Mm -hmm. of what it means to live out of this sacrificial love and humility with joy. Yeah, it's kind of an exhortation Mm -hmm. um, because he continues with that. He says, skipping to six in the same chapter, have no anxiety at all, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding regard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I've seen this verse so many times and, you know, like people will post it up and not knowing necessarily the context of what this uh, people go through. But I think people mutually in a way suffer that this verse really brings out something. Paul suffering, the Philippians, they suffer. They're in a tough time. Mm -hmm. They're being persecuted. But they just have this generosity. And Paul is speaking a truth that I think that they've already been experiencing and that they will continue to experience that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that doesn't make sense. That's a mystery that will guard the hearts and minds in, in Christ Jesus. Definitely. Well, thanks, Dan. Thank you for this. Thanks, you, been Eddie. It's very fruitful, kind of being a good friend and just kind of talking about what it means to be a good friend. So Great. appreciate that. As we exit, just going to exit with this song to leave y'all with you know in this time of the pandemic where things can get pretty hard you may be discovering for yourself some tough things of what it means new levels of loneliness feelings of loss of connection you may becoming recognized of maybe some of the privilege you have and some of that's hard but at the root of it is that you are good and to remember that and the reminder that god is with you the god who is of peace and who gives that peace that surpasses all understanding. Thank you for joining us on this podcast, and have a blessed time to the next one. When my mind is like a battlefield, and my heart is overcome by fear, and hope seems like a ship that's lost at sea, My enemies on every side And I'm tempted to run and hide Your gentle whisper reaches out to me